when a Russian general wants to defect, British agent James Bond is assigned to make sure the transition goes smoothly. But when the KGB abducts the general, Bond must find out what exactly is going on and who is playing who. A lying general, an American arms dealer, a beautiful cellist, and the future of British-Soviet relations trapped in the middle in Timothy Dalton's first outing as 007, The Living Daylights. I'm Connor Izagari. And I'm Caleb Jay. And this is Filmgasm. Happy Wednesday, and welcome to the Filmgasm podcast, another random pick, but a good one. On today's show, we're going back to the James Bond well. So far on all our shows, we've tackled Bond at least once. On Filmgasm, we've discussed Dr. No and Casino Royale. On Beyond the Bad, we ripped apart Octopussy. On Oscar Sunday, we tipped our hat to Skyfall. And on the sneak preview, we gave our first reactions to No Time to Die. It's safe to say that we enjoy a good Bond movie, and today's topic is no exception. Yeah, six Bond films. Feels good. Yeah, there's no way we could have done this in order. Staying in Connery forever would be kind of annoying. So I'm glad we decided to do it this way. Yeah, I think... Have we done Have we done a Connery yet? I forgot. No? Austin and I did Dr. No the week that he, he passed away. Okay, so we I think we've done one from each, or minus Brosnan, I believe is what it sounds like. I have not tackled Brosnan. It's actually kind of hard to fit him on this because like his movies are critically terrible enough to be on beyond the bad but fun enough to be on filmgasm so it's like where do we put these yeah and the only one that's easy is golden because that's the only one he did that critics and audiences both got like got behind that one true after that it was like what it was a whole like you got it was like a 50 50 off you know with that yeah and um, you know lazenby's got his own little island with honor majesty secret service and i'm sure we'll do at some point if the book gives us that movie because I'm never picking it. It's boring oh, yeah. as hell. It is really, yeah. Um yeah, we've done a lot of bond. I will say, look, I wasn't paying attention when I put Octopussy on the schedule for being on the bed. Because originally, if anyone wants to know who did if you haven't listened up, so I can't remember if we mentioned on the episode, but we actually had the conqueror down. Um couldn't find out and for good reasons for those who don't for those who don't know about the conqueror Star Sean Wayne, who just so you know is a very white American male, and uh, he played. Wait for it, everyone. Just hope you're in your seats for this. A movie where he played Genghis Khan. Yes, in Yellowface, I believe. Oh my God! The Conqueror has an all Asian character, like all Asian character roster. Not a single Asian actor. That movie has more Yellowface than every season of The Simpsons. And it's annoying. Yeah, so that was originally schedule for a very obvious reason, as you can tell. Um, but come to find out, again, for a very obvious reason, hard to get. Um, so I kind of was like, oh, shit, I got to come up with something new. I originally was actually trying to find our, like Bad Western or like Bad John Wayne or something way harder than I thought it would be to find. So I just was like, okay, I got to pick something I saw it on Bond, and I was like, you know what? I got the Bond set. I know I can watch one of these. I know you have the Bond set. I was like, this would be an easy watch. And I I picked one without looking ahead and going, oh, shit, we're doing the Living Daylights <laughs> not that long after. I was like, you know what? Fuck it. Here we are. You gotta do a bad Bond and a good Bond. It worked out. It's a good companion piece to our Octopussy episode. Um, 
Also with The Conqueror, a lot of those older bad films are hard to get a hold of because no one bothered to preserve them. Like there's the occasional cheap DVD, but for the most part, like The Conqueror is not getting some 50th anniversary release. That's not happening. So if you can't find that cheap DVD, good luck. Or if a streaming service picks it up at one point in a bulk purchase, maybe. But a lot of those, you know, a lot of bad movies pre like 1970 are going to be kind of hard to get a hold of. Yeah. And, you know, I, you know, I like to say like, uh, makes sense. I don't know who would want to own it, but obviously, you know, I know there are people out there that they're completionists. They want to preserve film history. So I can see like, they obviously the good and the bad, right. Um, so they would want to preserve something like that only because yes, obviously it's a very bad negative aspect of filmmaking. Some of that was very rampant back then. Obviously, still to this day, we have seen some cases of it. So it's not like it hasn't exactly gone away. Um, and I, I have seen it. I, when um Austin and I did our uh, when we were doing the Weird Shit Wednesdays early on in the Filmgasm uh, universe, we did an episode on John Wayne and talking about how much of a piece of shit he is. And that was kind of our centerpiece was the Conqueror, and I was able to get a DVD from my you know Netflix in the mail, which I was doing back then. And it is a terrible movie. It is a hard to watch, r- ridiculously racist, historically inaccurate piece of shit. It really is. Even back then, people were like, "What the fuck is this?" And filming on an irradiated test site killed everybody. So it's a it's a terrible movie, and destroyed everybody's life who was involved in it. So. One day it will make a a fantastic Beyond the Bad if we can get a hold of a copy because I would like to just rip that movie apart proper, but you know in the like Octopussy was a good substitute. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I mean, I'm sure one day I want to be surprised there will be like a bare bones or release or something of that movie. I've seen stranger stranger things happen when it comes to like home video releases on some stuff. Well, um, also with John Wayne, a lot of his movies just end up in bulk collections on like cheap DVDs, you know, 25 John Wayne movies for five bucks. That's your best bet on finding the conqueror. Yeah. But again, that's if you're really trying to preserve home history, which I get, I do get that aspect. Um, But if, or if you're like, you know, I get it. Anyone who knows me, I'm kind of completionist for a lot of my movie. I have to like own the, own the whole, in a lot of cases, exceptions here and there. And even then eventually the bug gets me on a, on a series. I don't own all of them on. I have to know the whole, whole series. Like, it's just a weird bug or tick. It's my thing. Um, so if, you know, you're like that, like, hey, I got to own all the John Wayne movies. I get it. I understand the tick. Um, but, like, if you're actively, like, I can't fathom actively going and get that movie. The main reason most people even buy movies, <laughs> that for those who do, do still do physical media, going out and buying it because you liked it and want to watch it again and again and again. Hearing that alone, I have questions about that. <laughs> yeah. So the Conqueror lost in the wind at the moment, drove us to do Octopussy, and we've just been in bond fever ever since. And this was not, you know, this was a random selection from the book. So we didn't plan this one either. I yeah, can't. no, I think this was actually randomly selected well before Octopussy. Long ago. Yeah. We picked we do the we do the book selections months in advance. So this has been here for a while. <laughs> yeah. It's just yeah, the perfect timing. Um luckily I mean look, at the end of the day, it's not like we're doing the fucking Bonathon as we like to call it that we did at your place. I still get PTSD sometimes when I'm watching a Bond film. I'm just like, God, I remember when I was like delirious. <laughs> I remember that 
like we had to put that on pause because we were both burned the fuck out and we actually ran out of time. So I had I'm like after doing, I think the last few Roger Moore ones and the two Daltons, I then went and saw Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> and then like a week later, I went to your place and we finished off the Brosnan and Craig's. Yeah, I think I played video games <laughs> until then. I was like, can I just do anything that isn't attached to me watching a movie? <laughs> we learned our lesson, kind of. Uh, yeah, but that was fun. <laughs> it was four days, I think it was. Have you spent? Yeah, we didn't really sleep that much. We didn't really leave the house or really my room, and we just marathoned those fuckers, these long ass movies. Yeah. Worst part is like your family supported every second of it because at no point did they come in and go, You guys want to do something else? This isn't a bad idea. They're like, Yeah, have fun. <laughs> Good luck, champs. Uh, yeah. Well, my mom was on a business trip and my grandparents, I don't think they really understood what we were doing. So they just left us to our own devices. <laughs> that was a lot of the cases. I think they were just like, You know what? It's Connor and Caleb hanging out. We'll just leave them. <laughs> All right. Well, that was fun. Uh, let's start in on the question. Pretty simple. We kind of we've gone here before, but I don't think we've gone here on this show. So, on the list of actors who portrayed James Bond, where do you where do you rank Timothy Dalton, and why do you think he only got two chances to play the character? Ooh, that's a good one. I don't think we've specifically talked about this on the show yet. We have. Um... We, we danced around it, but we've never really dug into Dalton. Yeah. Uh. Oh, that's a good one. So, for the answer to the first one, I would put Dalton. I actually put him behind Connery and Craig. He is actually my third favorite. Um. Because yes, he only had two films, but I he just he made such an impact. He, the his version of the character I like a lot. Um. One, he's not slapping women, and two, he's not like this aloof old man. <laughs> that's true. He's not like a sixty-year-old should have retired twenty years ago secret agent sleeping with 20 year olds yeah that's a big plus yeah. and he you know he's not George Lazenby um but uh no you know he plays a version of the character I like and it's uh it's very much like he's getting the he gets the job done he doesn't take any bullshit more so than any other version of Bond maybe other than Craig and Connery um and he's ruthless like I like I like that I like how ruthly ruthless he can get and be um, but so obviously there is that hint of bond that we know and love. Like he's gonna make you know make the time to sleep with a beautiful woman. Like when he does the training exercise at the beginning of this film and falls in the boat and he's on the phone at first, does credit ignoring her, unlike prior bonds that would have just been straight into like let's make a sex pun and get to the credits. He's actually like, Okay, hey, I gotta use your phone. Shush. <laughs> he says the one hour thing, and then she's like, Do you want to party over the fuck she says? And he goes, Make it two. We still get a classic version, like what we know and love out of Bond. We still get it, but a more modern, uh, kick-ass take. Um, and this actually is a good way of like getting into like why I think he didn't last so long. I think he only got two films because he was ahead of his time. I honestly, one hundred believe that Dalton was ahead of his time because everything he does here, Craig does when he takes over the role. But we were ready for that. Like after what happened with Brosnan's movies, even though like, I mean, yeah, look, I you know we all know, like we all agree on how great Golden Eye is. Yes, the other three after that are dumb. They're stupid. They're fun. Like they're entertaining enough. 
But, you know, obviously the the receptions of those kept getting worse and worse and really kind of killed the franchise there for a little bit. Um, and then when Craig came on, he was clearly, yes, a lot of people kind of obviously can see the Connery in him and all that stuff, but I see a lot of Dalton in Craig's performance. I think he has one of the most understated legacies to this character that people and uh that people don't like to talk about with Dalton that is he brought that kick ass version. He brought that ruthlessness that people love so much in Craig. And this is not me taking anything away from there, Craig. The dude, you heard me, he's my second favorite. You know, first one would be Connery. But Dalton does a lot of the stuff first. And I just don't think people were ready at that time, especially because it's coming off of Roger Moore's bond that was such a much more goofy and just lighthearted and different, you know, and much different take than what Dalton did. And even when they went, got rid of him and finally went with Brosnan for GoldenEye, you know, obviously, yeah, they did things and modernize it like they always do with Bond, but he was a lot more lighthearted and goofy than Dalton was. So you could just tell, like, it just the timing wasn't right for that take on the character. I agree with you 100%. I mean, people forget Roger Moore was James Bond for 12 years. Like, live and let die to a view to a kill. He had the longest tenure of any actor. He was James Bond to so many people for so long. And then with Timothy Dalton, it's such a drastic change in the vibe of the character that some people were like, who is this guy? This isn't James Bond. Mm-hmm. They saw James Bond as his goofy grandpa, you know, stopping microchip takeovers. But Dalton does, he. the reason I think he resonates so well with fans is his prep work was he went to the books. He read the books. He tried to, to bring that James Bond onto the big screen. And I think he accomplished it. He really is very much like get the job done, you know, sex later. It's all about saving the world. You do, you get this vibe of kind of a broken soulless man in there, which is what bond really is. Craig inhibited that better than anybody, but Dalton really is a stepping stone towards that version of bond. I think if Brosnan and Dalton had been swapped, it would have worked out fine. Because Brosnan is the next logical step towards, like, you know, from Goofy Bond to Killer Bond. Yeah, because especially with the last Brosnan film with that whole opening of him getting tortured and he's broken, like, the they were obviously still wanting to go there with the character. Yeah. And yeah, if you switch it, it would have made so much more sense. Right. I mean, people forget that, you know, Bond is not just sex puns and gadgets. I mean, he's a, he's a cold-blooded murderer who's sent to kill people across the, the world. That's who he is. Everything else is secondary and goofy fun, but he's a hitman first and foremost. Mm-hmm. So if you don't have that part of the character, you don't have the character. Dalton understood that, and it was too, it was too much for people. I mean, he's lighting a drug lord on fire and <laughs> licensed to kill out of revenge for what he did to his best friend. Roger Moore's not doing that shit. <laughs> no, Roger Moore would have made some kind of pun and then yeah. found a goofy way to kill him. Exactly. So, yeah, it's uh, he was just, you know, people weren't ready for him. People were not prepared to see James Bond go that far. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, thank God we did get ready by the time Daniel Craig came on board. And again, you know, the. I think they did a lot of smart stuff on there. And, and obviously, like I said, there was that unfortunate effect of the, the what was it? Dinar Day is the final browsing one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Dinar Day, there was the unfortunate like blowback on that one and the re- reception on that one, which was one of the things that kind of led to what we got with Casino Royale. 
Um, you know, obviously that that reception and then the hiatus of them being like, okay, let's reconfigure the Bond franchise. Um and then doing things on there and like let's just have this be a reboot, very be very real about that. This is one hundred percent like a reboot on this character, wipe the slate clean, let's start from scratch here. And you know, obviously we and then by doing that, when they brought Craig in, obviously, especially with Samuel Royale, you still get a lot of the stuff we expect from Bond with the sex puns and the and him being a charming individual and all that. But they did start to put that stuff back in, the more broken stuff. And yes, then because people took two of them so well and likely didn't get deep over Connor and Solace, we got to see that a lot more, Craig. And, you know, he inhabited that regardless of his on, you know, interview persona of how much he apparently hated this character. He did such a great, he did such a great job of like inhabiting that part of the character and bringing it and making people go like, yes, this is what Bond needs to be. Well, I think what Craig and Dalton have in common more than anybody who played Bond, they make Bond feel like a human being. Because like Connery, he's this, you know, this brash, you know, abusive Scotsman, which is fine for, you know, a 60s Bond. I mean, what are you expecting? Yeah. I mean, you get away with it because it's Connery. We all love Sean Connery. Roger Moore is, you know, this either 40 or 80 year old secret agent. You can't really tell who's just, you know, making puns and going to space and doing goofy shit. Brosnan's, you know, driving invisible cars and. Nothing ever happens to these guys. Mm. But Dalton loses his best friend to a drug lord. And Craig, you know, loses the love of his life, gets shot, has to find his way back. Like things happen to these to these bonds. And then if you've seen No Time to Die, you know what happens to Craig ultimately at the end of the film, which is a first Mm -hmm. franchise. Yeah. So I think, you know. I wonder if Craig borrowed a bit from Dalton's performance. I mean, he says he, you know, crafted his own thing, but come on. You've never seen a Bond film. You're going to play James Bond. You're not going to watch the other ones. Come on. At least one from each actor. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's yeah. not going to, it's going to subconsciously influence how you play the character. Yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure he crafted, but you know, watching, watching Dalton, Dalton's two films and watching Craig, you're like, that's why I say like, it, it feels like Dalton walked, Dalton walked. So Craig could run. Um, yes. It's like, dude, I see the perform. I see what you're doing in Dalton's. You can't tell me you didn't at least maybe watch one of, if not his only two films. Like, that's a hard one to do compared to other actors. I mean, if I got cast as James Bond, the first thing I'm going to do is watch all of them and try to take something away from each of those guys. Mm-hmm. Even Lazenby, somehow. Some The kilt. Um... I'll take the kilt from Lazenby, yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now the only way I can I would say he could work around that is that if he just happened to do the same thing that Dalton did and go back to the books and read the books, and then yes, then I can see where yes, obviously there's going to be similarities because they went to the same source material. Well, dude, Craig also had the luxury of Casino Royale actually being based off one of the novels, so he actually had something there to use. You know, after like The Living Daylights is the last Bond source material until casino royale so brosnan had to just kind of you know improvise but craig he had you know the basis of a character to use yeah well i mean well okay to counter that just play devil's advocate one any of them can still go back to the prior books and read any of the books um and two i will say this and craig and now in brosnan's defense 
um, to kind of go with your defending of uh, Rosin here. As we both kind of know, he had such a horrendous time trying to get that role that I think at that point he was just happy to have it and happy to do it. And like, look, I got this. I'm fucking doing it finally. I think he's fine as Bond. I just think his movies are, you know, goofy and ridiculous, but they're they're entertaining. All the yeah, Bond yeah. films are at the very least entertaining. Most of the Bond films are the very least entertaining. There's some there's some exceptions, but not a lot. We 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 sat through Octopus. Come on, <laughs> like, that's all right, fair enough. Yeah, um, yeah. No, it, it always cracks me up with Brosnan because like everyone agrees unanimously on Goldeneye. I was like, Goldeneye is fucking awesome, and then like the tide changes one movie later onward. <laughs> yeah, that's a shame. But you know, I feel like Dalton's films have gotten more celebrated over the years as you know ahead of their time. And examples of what Bond could be if he was, you know, as cold as Ian Fleming envisioned him to be. Yeah, I think that has, I think that's a lot to do with Daniel Craig's run. I think because people were finally accepting it in his run, when they went back, they saw Dalton's and went, oh, wow, this is what, okay. I think it's a lot of that. Like, because Craig was able to run with it so much, it gave people the chance to go back and reevaluate Dalton's. And then, you know, something that, I mean, granted, people always do. I mean, for Christ's sakes, you know, obviously Connery's is getting reevaluated and not always in the most negative, or sorry, in the most positive aspect by younger viewers. And I totally get it. You like what you like. You don't like what you like. I get it. Yeah. It, look, again, I know we said before, if you don't want to see a man slapping women around and forcing himself onto a lesbian, don't watch Connery's films. Um, <laughs> just saying, like, Point that out there. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, and I'm not saying you can't get away with like doing like a goofy, more fun Bond. Like Roger Moore does have good films under his belt. Um, and I will say this: his '80s one compared to Dalton's '80s Bonds. Dalton's '80s Bonds feel more '80s than Moore's. I don't know how that happened, but they just feel more '80s. Moore should have bowed out after Moonraker. The 80s Bond run should have been Dalton's. Yeah, I can agree with that. Yeah. Because like I said, like, honestly, like the first three, four more films are fun. I mean, Live and Let Die, Man with Golden Gun, Moonraker, The Spy Who Loved Me. There you go. I was like, there's no one I'm missing. Those are really good films. It's just, as we saw with Octopussy, he kept getting roped back into the damn franchise. Well, they tried to go darker with For Your Eyes Only, but Moore's inherent goofiness just didn't mesh with the kind of movie they were trying to make. So the film feels kind of disjointed. And then they, I guess they realized that because they went right back to Goofy with Octopussy and A View to a Kill. Because Moore yeah. just couldn't be, I don't buy him as a ruthless hitman who, you know, kicks a assassin off, off a cliff in a burning car. Like, I just, I don't buy him doing that. But I can see Dalton doing that in a heartbeat. Dalton did do it in a heartbeat. What's crazy is like, so I, uh, I've been, you know, I watched Doom Patrol, and Dalton's in the first couple of seasons as like the per, the professor who's made all of them, and he brings some of that dark edge to the character. Like mostly he gets dark in that show. I'm like, man, he still has it in him to get dark. It's cool. He, oh, like, he can still tap into it. I love him as Bond. But my favorite role he's ever done is Simon Skinner in Hot Fuzz. The you know, supermarket guy who's constantly joking about how much of a killer he is. And then turns out, yeah, he's a, he's part of the cabal and yeah, it's, it's super dark, but it's also really funny. And I, I like that he can balance that. 
Yeah, he's he's always been great at playing a dark character, but balancing it with other elements to make you kind of kind of root for him in a way. Even if it's something like Hot Fuzz, where you're like, he's a bad guy, but I'm laughing because he's so <laughs> fucking funny behind the yeah the horror. Have you seen Flash Gordon? No, I haven't. Dalton is a prominent character in that, and he he hated it so much. It was so beneath him. But he plays like a an exiled prince who joins forces with Flash and the Hawkman to take on Ming. It's a cool movie. It's ridiculous, but it's it's a fun movie. And he's great in that. He did that like what seven years before he was Bond. And oh, okay, it was a formative film for him. I, he does not like to talk about it. I look at that's beneath him, but he does Doom Patrol willingly, and I'm like, that is like outrageous, bizarre, goofy shit. For DC, and you don't complain about that. Well, Flash Gordon was cheap, and at the time was not this huge hit. It like eventually became a cult classic, but at the time he was like, "I'm in some shitty Star Wars knockoff about a football star. My career is about to die." <laughs> so I kind of get that. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Yeah. Well, that was fun. All right, so yeah, so we both really liked Dalton. I think he's up there with the with the greats who played Bond. And yeah, just the reason he only got two is because, you know, people saw him killing drug lords and avenging his friend and lighting people on fire. And we're like, this is not, it's not okay. It's too much. <laughs> I thought, you know, like, what is it? Remember that one month? Was it for your eyes only? The guy that goes, Christ, or whatever. That was, I think that was Tomorrow Never Dies. Yeah. Oh, okay. I feel like that was the audience when they saw this. They just went, Christ, my God, man. <laughs> Never heard a British man roll his R's before. That was that was entertaining. He has such a good laugh out of that. That and the, the thing in Ghost of Mars. Do you want some coffee? Jesus. Not not now. Just the way you like it. Just so aggressive. I yeah. love passive aggressive dialogue. <laughs> just, just the way you like I don't think I want what you think I like anymore. <laughs> All right. So how did The Living Daylights come about? Production of a Bond film is always a fascinating story because these things are intricately put together to ensure a box office success. And I don't think any of them have ever really failed. There have been some low expect, like some low performers, but nothing's ever bombed. Yeah, we have yet to have that happen. No. And for a 25 film run, that's impressive. Yeah. I think the only th- other franchise kind of doing that right now is the MCU. True. Yeah, nothing's really tanked. There's been underperformers, but nothing's tanked. Yeah, nothing's like... I don't think he's like lost him a shit ton of money. No. Amazingly, I thought Eternals was going to be the one that set him back, but it was a success, and they've still been like, I think we're done with the Eternals. <laughs> yeah. The only one I'm kind of scared of right now is, uh, believe it or not, the new Black Panther. It's like a $250 million budget, and it's only made $330 million. I think give it time. It, it'll, I know it'll... I'm. I'm really hoping. I'm like, please have a good second weekend because uh, it's technically not profit yet. It'll it'll make it. I mean, you know, it'll get there. Um, so the Living Daylights, as I said, was the last Bond movie to use the title of an official Ian Fleming story until 2006's Casino Royale. It's loosely based on the short story The Living Daylights, which was first published in 1966 in the collection. You're not going to believe this. Octopussy and the Living Daylights. Yes, as as I think I'm, I did. A, I think I may have forgotten to mention it in my Octopussy episode. But isn't that great? These two films are connected and they ended up here kind of at the same time by accident. 
universe works in mysterious ways. True. The first act of the film in which Bond helps a defecting general escape and shoots a sniper who turns out to be a gorgeous woman is the entirety of the short story. So all, that's the short story. Everything else was made up for the movie. It's amazing um, how like, they take these short stories and bloat them to over two hours long. Right? There's only a handful of, of Fleming stories that have not yet become Bond titles for obvious reasons. One of them is 007 in New York. No one's calling a Bond movie 007 in New York. This is not Home Alone 2. Um, the Property of a Lady. Could work. The Hildebrand Rarity. I don't see that happening. And Risico. I see that one happening. It's a cool word. I don't know what it means because I haven't read any of these. That's a cool word. I don't see any of those happening. Apparently 007 in New York is literally about Bond thinking about New York and a recipe for scrambled eggs. Fleming was just done. He didn't. He was like, I don't care. Bond goes to New York and he eats eggs. Fuck off. Maybe <laughs> <Bring me> my money. <laughs> Um, the Living Daylights was originally proposed as a prequel to the franchise. With more gone, they were just going to clean slate it, start from scratch, go back to the beginning. But that was ultimately shot down. The film was going to end with Bond getting his orders to go hunt down Dr. No. Which right. would have been cool. How is it like this and, and Craig seem to have such similarities? Like, this was the rumored reboot. Craig's end up being the fucking reboot. Yeah. And then they were thinking about ending it with him going to get Dr. No, and there was tons of fucking rumors with the last Craig film about, you know, Robbie Malik actually being Dr. No and that he was going to hunt him down. Everything was hinting at that. And granted, what we ultimately got, just like how this one was shot down, we ultimately got No Time to Die. You know, fuck it, spoiler if you haven't seen the damn movie yet. Um, we didn't get that. Robbie Malik played an incredibly bland villain. Yeah, kind of sucks that he's the guy who finally took down James Bond. Yeah, it does suck. Again, I'll stand by it. Probably one of the only fucking, I know I mentioned Octopussy episode and Beyond the Bad, but one of the only Bond films that actually got away with being an exceptional Bond film by having a bland villain. Usually that does take a Bond villain. It's true. We're going to talk a bit about that with this movie because I think the villains in this film are pretty weak. They are. So he has better films. Darton has better films than License to Kill. My God, Sanchez and Dario are fucking monsters. Yeah. <laughs> um. So yeah, obviously the the idea for a prequel did not go away. They were thinking about it constantly, and they finally did do it in two thousand six. Following the box office, they consider failure of A View to a Kill. It was confirmed that Roger Moore would not be reprising the role of James Bond. It finally took that movie to, for them to be like all right we're done with Raj <laughs> we can move on now <laughs> I think he just like cried and it's just like like happy tears like oh thank god no in fact he wasn't done and I got I got more about that oh, uh, in god, the film guys no. and facts I couldn't believe this oh god there's <laughs> more to this I thought he was like so done before that I talked about this on Octopussy he was like they had to negotiate to there is there's more on more and I'm gonna, yeah, we're gonna get into that at the more end of the show. More. Look, look at you with the fancy. <laughs> so, with the character of James Bond now a free agent, who who's gonna play Bond? A number of actors were considered to succeed. More, including future Bond Pierce Brosnan. 
uh, Welsh stage actor Timothy Dalton, and New Zealand actor Sam Neill. Are you serious right now? Producers Michael G. Wilson and Barbara Broccoli preferred Sam Neill. They loved his audition. They wanted to offer him the role. Producer Albert Broccoli wasn't sold. He didn't didn't like him. He didn't think he was up to snuff, so they didn't offer Sam Neill the role. Albert called the shots. He was the guy heading up Eon Productions, and he was like, I don't like the cut of his jib. We're not giving it to this New Zealander. (laughs) What the fuck? You do not tell Dr. Alan Grant no. But if he had been Bond, we don't get his Alan Grant, potentially. I mean, that's true, but oh, God, Sam Neill would have absolutely crushed this. I 100% think he would have been great. He could have, he could have, it would have been an interesting film to see Sam Neill as James Bond. (laughs) Yeah, interesting, but at the same time, I mean, I have him as in Jurassic Park, my favorite film of all time, and that's also great. I don't, I'm not going to speak of a certain latest film in that installment. Mm. Um, but god damn it. Yeah, I that's that that's really hitting that we almost had Sam Neill, but it took one guy calling the shots, but like, nope. It was literally the, the director liked him, the other producers liked him, they were ready to call him, and Albert's like, no, I don't like him. He wouldn't say why, he just was like, no. It's, it was so it was such old man stubbornness of like, no, I what I say goes, and I say no. It's, it's weird. And everyone, they nobody can do anything about that. They're like, all right, I guess we'll keep looking, Al. Thanks. Thanks. We had a guy, and now we don't. Meanwhile, <laughs> um, Sturberg's like, hey, you want to do Jurassic Park? <laughs> <laughs> this is interesting. MGM recommended Mel Gibson, but Broccoli immediately was like, absolutely not. I agree with Broccoli on that one. God, no. I like Gibson. I do not see him as James Bond. And this is not because of, you know, obviously his fall from grace. I just don't see him as James Bond. I don't either. It would have been too distracting. Everyone would have been like, hey, it's Mel Gibson. Yeah, like, look, and look, don't get me wrong. I like a lot of his early stuff. Like, I fucking love the Mad Max movies. I love the Lethal Weapon movies. He's great in Braveheart. Like, I'm not saying, like, the guy is a good fucking actor before he had his fall from grace. Um, as I'm going to keep referring to it as not the what, not what, you know, the cold harshness of it. And the things yeah. he did and said. Um, yeah, true that, sugar tits. Yeah, there it is. Uh, <laughs> that, and it was crazy, for those you don't know, if you look into it, that's like the light part of it. There is so much more yeah. he said. Yeah, he went full anti-Semite on that. On that, uh, Well, the, it, it was anti-Semite on the arrest, and then it was uh, full-blown... Uh, racist on the phone call so yeah Yeah, i'm I'm waiting for the third strike i thought it was like almost misogynist like like his his wife at the time there was that and then there was the if you get raped by a pack of mm -hmm, yeah that's right yeah that was a whole lot that happened um so you know i'm not saying he wouldn't do good because of that like this has nothing to do with that like i've seen his prior stuff guy was a phenomenal actor you know Left his legacy in Hollywood before that shit went down. I just don't see him as Bond, like, at all. Would it be weird to have an Australian Bond? Yes. Okay. I'm glad I'm not alone on that. It would be very weird. This is my thing. Look, 
other than obviously Connery, obviously, that I get, you know, Bond's supposed to be British. Like, he's a British spy. So, for me, like, I'm not one to pull the, like, it, you know, obviously it needs to be an American or it needs to be this playing the role. Nine times out of ten. And this one, I'll say it, I, I do 100% agree that it needs to be a British person playing the role. As long as they are from the United Kingdom, I do not care. You know, I can, I Scotland, can Ireland, England, Wales, anything. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that, which is why I say Connery can get away with it. I think he's actually the only non-British actor to have done the role, I believe. Nope, Brosnan's Brosnan. Irish. Brosnan's I didn't know that. Oh. In fact, Dalton's Welsh, Craig is English, and Lazenby is Aust- is Australian. No wonder Lazenby sticks out. Um, <laughs> so we've gotten one of everything. Okay. Then, yeah, no, then, you know, yeah, if you're from the UK, that's what I, that's, you know, that area I think should have first dibs because as we, okay, we did get Australian with Lazenby. And I'll say it, he's kind of like my least favorite. It has nothing to do with him being Australian. I just don't really like him as Bond. Um, so, no, I'm not, yeah, no, I'm just, it's just, I, it's not like, look, unless we're really good at hiding that accent, I'm going to know you're fucking Australian watching the movie. It, I get it. Be know? blunt, just to be blunt. Like, the character is such a part of England's DNA that it would just be odd. I mean, the Broccoli's have shot down so many American actors who wanted to play Bond. It's big names. And they're like, no, he's an English icon. And that's okay. Yeah. I'm okay with that. No, Go I'm ahead. 100% okay with that. I, I especially because, you know, obviously, you know, the, you know, the the Brits in the UK in general they view celebrity celebrities in a lot a, a different way than we view them. You know, a lot of times it's always to talk about how celebrities in the UK can just go about their day. No one really gives a shit. But we're such in a celebrity obsessed culture here in America, um, that it would just be too distracting. It'd be like, oh, we're just here we are in our you know American actor taking over this well role. In the UK, acting is just a job. Like there's celebrity, but then actors have their own lives, their own private lives, and they do things accordingly. They, they, you know, nobody knew Craig had married Rachel Weiss until like months later when they had showed up at an event married. Like yeah. they just they keep to themselves, and I, I wish we'd had more of that in the United States. Just I, I've gone on too many rants about celebrity culture on these shows, so I'm, I'm going to curb it now because I don't want to do another one. No, but I don't I, care. I don't, I don't want to. No, I, I don't. I'm just saying, like, with that in mind, having an American would just be too distracting because then you have the name, the celebrity culture, obsessed culture we have here in America. It, it takes away what makes it, what makes James Bond special to me. I don't want to see Tom Cruise. I'm sure he's been fucking attached at some point or talked about. Oh, yeah. I Every yeah. time I, I do one of these, every time I look it up, there's always, like, in this case, Christopher Reeve was considered. Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I like Christopher Reeve as, you know, he, he, I'm not anything I know. I, I like the guy. No, just know as Bond. No. No. He's Superman. Be Superman. Yeah, just be Superman, man. You're still the best Superman, even though, hey, you know what? If Henry Cavill finally gets some damn good scripts, he we might have a we might have a second contender here. I, just, I need him to get some good damn scripts. How is, a, how is an icon like Superman so hard to make a good movie out of? I don't know. Oh, okay. So, ultimately, the role was offered to Pierce Brosnan, who was under contract at NBC for the series Remington Steel at the time. And this is the most petty 
underhanded bullshit I've ever heard. So buckle up. The announcement that he was going to be Bond renewed interest in the series, causing NBC to extend Brosnan's contract for another season, which resulted in Broccoli withdrawing the offer because he didn't want the character of Bond to be associated with an existing series. He didn't want people seeing Remington Steele. He wanted people seeing James Bond. And then get this. The withdrawing of the offer led to a drop in the ratings for Remington Steele, which only filmed five more episodes before the show was canceled. Too little, too late. Nobody won. No Remington Steele, no James Bond. It was a perfect storm of assholery that everybody lost. The fact that he was willing to still do it like two movies later. <laughs> holy shit, I would be pissed. And him getting the role in 95 actually results in a phone call from somebody you would not expect. And that also is going to come up in film guys and facts at the end of the show. This is a very interesting episode. A lot of weird little connections that happen a lot here. So cool stuff, but yeah, I would be unbelievably pissed at NBC. And then I would just, you know, I mean, the whole reason they they held on to him was because he's going to be James Bond. And now people are watching our show, but if you keep him, he doesn't get to be James Bond. And now nobody's going to watch your show. Like, Oh my God. Yeah, just think for five seconds. <laughs> Thank God, like, Bruce Brosnan's, like, the only actor that's, like, ever loved playing this role. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Yeah. Actually, I think Roger Moore enjoyed it. But I, after I, think, movie, I think Dalton had some good... has had good things to say down the road. Well, Roger Moore kept having separation anxiety. He'd do a movie, and then he'd be like, that's it, I'm done with this. Two months would go by, and he's like... Well, maybe I should do one more. <laughs> that kept happening. <laughs> Quite a bit. <laughs> Again, go back to Octopussy to hear about his original, or our Octopussy episode, to hear about his original three-film contract that wasn't <laughs> renewed. He did seven <laughs> films. Y'all figure that out. He almost did eight films, but more on that later. <laughs> um. So, backed into a corner. Broccoli doesn't like Sam Neill. NBC fucked up their deal with Brosnan. I I guess it's going to Timothy Dalton. <laughs> he was wow. the third choice. <laughs> wow. So the first choice, one guy fucked it all up. Second choice, an entire network fucked it all up. And then they went, all right, Dalton, you're up. You're our third choice. Somebody call Tim before he changes his mind quickly. <laughs> He's not attached to anything else. Is he? Please don't be attached to anything else. No, he was. He initially passed. Oh, God. <laughs> he was already committed to filming a movie called Brenda Star. Some goofy comic strip thing that is so horrendous. I put it on the Beyond the Bad Potentials list because I'm like, holy hell, this is the movie that almost stopped Dalton from becoming James Bond. Uh, here's the synopsis. A comic book artist struggling with his Brenda Star strip decides to draw himself into it when his comic book character is disappointed and leaves the strip. So some weird meta Dick Tracy Looney Tunes shit. So that almost stopped <laughs> Dalton from having to make this decision. Uh, but Eon and MGM were so damn desperate they waited for him to finish that, then offered it to him again. And this time he was free, and he's like, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> they really needed Timothy Dalton. 
<laughs> well, at this point, they had for like probably one of the rare in a rare case for James Bond, they had no one else. They went, okay, let's just wait till the movie's done. <laughs> Ask him again. Hopefully, he says yes this time. <laughs> well, with Dalton now having accepted the role, he immediately went to the source material, tried to play the James Bond that Ian Fleming had envisioned originally. And that's why he's so dark and reserved. And it worked. I thought it worked. The uh, The film was directed by John Glenn, who had previously directed For Your Eyes Only, Octopussy, A View to a Kill, and would later direct License to Kill. He also worked as an editor on On Her Majesty's Secret Service, A Spy Who Loved Me, and Moonraker. So clearly he was no stranger to Bond, was a safe bet. He's one of the more common names I've seen in the director's show. Like him and Martin Campbell are names I, I saw quite recurring. There were some other ones that came around the top of my head, but there's a couple. I, I didn't realize how many recurring directors pop up throughout this series. In the early days, uh, Terrence Young and Guy Hamilton directed a lot of the Connery films kind of back to back. Um, and, you know, Sam Mendes, he did too. Mm. So, yeah, it, you get them sometimes. Yeah. I think, uh, I don't know who directed Tomorrow Never Dies and the World is Not Enough, but, you know, that's probably why I don't know who they are. True. And then I felt like whoever directed Quantum, they went never direct for us again. That was Mark Forster. And yeah, he, he sent some good work. Just not at that time, but that admittedly, you know, it was made during a writer's strike. They didn't have a, a plot really. So they were kind of just winging that one. Yeah. Sometimes it's hard to put all the blame on directors for these films. Cause obviously there's like writers that are well, going away on this and then they bring the directors in later well, doing these shows and looking into the production history has actually made me appreciate a director's kind of stance on a lot of films. Because a lot of times, you know, the producers are calling the shots or there's an actor who's a pain in the ass or the writers don't deliver a script. It's not always the director's fault for a film's failure. No, you know, a director's job is to basically just get the damn film made. Like they are. They got to wrangle. They got to make sure everyone's doing their job. And if no one's willing to do their job, what, what's it going to do? Yeah, it can be either like one of the greatest joys in life as a filmmaker, or literally you want you're pulling your hair out. Yeah, I mean, look, I I recently showed a friend uh, Mystery Men, and that film is directed by Kinka Usher, a friend of Michael Bay, who had directed beer commercials, and he had such a pain in the ass wrangling everybody on that set, which was volatile because it was a whole bunch of comedic minds all thinking the movie was going in the wrong direction. And that only they knew the comedic tone the film should have. So you had Ben Stiller, Greg Kinnear, William H. Macy, Hank Azaria, Janine Garofalo, all saying, this is what we should do. Oh, boy. He had to be like, no, we're doing it this way. He never made anything else. He went back to beer commercials. He he hated it so much. He's like, I'm never doing anything again. Kill me now. I love the movie, but I can't imagine yeah, I cannot. Uh, what is it? Even something that's like, like a let's say, like a Orrin Pelly for Paranormal Activity, right? The humongous. I was. He doesn't direct anymore. He is in, I think, New Zealand, doing other work, living his best life. And what's funny is that it's not like that was a nightmare for him. He did that in his free time. It's very indie, right? Became yeah. a huge success. So even if it's something like that, where it's like you didn't really have a hard time, he just wasn't interested in that Hollywood lifestyle, and he bounced. Well, also, I imagine, you know, directing a franchise staple like a Bond film, I doubt the director has a lot of say on any of these films. This is very, these are very producer driven franchise. 
Yeah, well, I mean, like, yes. Um, directors, I mean, I'll, I mean, ultimately, with, yes, things like the story and stuff like that, producers going to have their notes and what they want, because obviously they're trying to keep it all within a certain kind of franchise mind. But, like, obviously, the director at that point, what they do get away with is usually shot composition, how things flow and move. That's where they can, a good one will shine, even in a franchise. Um, a best example of that is something like um, the MCU, obviously, when, well, once, yeah, I know you guys mentioned on the Avengers episode of Oscar Sunday, but once they get read, I th- the producer, thinking about, by the way, I think his name was like Nuttermeyer or some dumb fucking name like that. I just know his name was Ike, and I don't like Ike. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> but yeah, you know, like, one, once they got rid of him, and two, obviously, once the box office helped increase their confidence, you saw... You know, obviously, that is a franchise that's very producer-driven. They obviously are, you know, Kevin Feige is making sure everything, well, hopefully is making sure. I'm not going to try to count them out now, but Phase 4, we'll shake you on. Um, but, you know, he's obviously making sure everything stays in line, stuff like that, right? And then he follows a certain MCU pattern. But obviously, as we saw when they started bringing people like James Gunn, Taika Waititi, you start seeing the director part of it flourish and that they were able to get their voice in, their style in, while still keeping it MCU. So that's where a good director can kind of still make their voice known in a franchise. That's very true. And we see that in the Bond franchise, I think the best with Sam Mendes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Skyfall Inspector definitely have his vibe all over them. And he really does, you know, the way those films are structured are gorgeous. And, uh, yeah, I love when a when a director gets to kind of put their spin on an existing property that gets to be part of that franchise, but also very clearly one of their films. Yes. And um and at the same time, you know, there's nothing wrong with like what they like to call a workman like director, like your John Glenn here, he obviously did a lot of films, or your guy Hamilton, who did a lot of films. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think they they're getting work, they're directing, they are making a paycheck. Hey, I will not not ever going to square that you're doing what you probably i'm assuming you love how how many films you've done um and your paycheck so hey look if, if it's workman like it's workman like something wrong it's still getting the job done getting a movie made exactly work is work you know we've all done jobs we're not proud of just to make that dollar unfortunately some of these guys' jobs have to last forever <laughs> yes and are viewed by a public that can be quite vicious especially now that online exists Ugh. Well, The Living Daylights has an IMDb score of 6.7, Letterbox score of 3.3 out of 5, Rotten Tomatoes score of 73%. Critics' consensus reads, Newcomer Timothy Dalton plays James Bond with more seriousness than preceding installments, and the result is exciting and colorful, but occasionally humorless. Hey, Rotten Tomatoes, that was the fucking point. <laughs> yeah. Like kind of like occasionally humorless, like okay, yeah. Dalton is not dressing up as a clown or having sex in space. He's like, <laughs> like, how's that a negative? Like, they forget that this was eighties action craze, right? A lot of those were meant to be very serious action movies. Look at, and it's only because it's on my mind because the again they showed the trailer for in front of Black Panther, but John Wick franchise minus a few like very like the occasional joke here and there it's a very serious series so what the hell do you mean by humorless like there's plenty of humorless action films it's just how the genre operates yeah it's not every genre has to be you know a hybrid some not every action has to also be a comedy sometimes you can just have comedy and action in separate films it's okay 
I know you're not used to that after 12 years with Roger Moore, but it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Uncle Tim's here to make everything okay. And when he's gone, Uncle Pierce is going to bring it all back. It's okay. Out of context, it sounds almost almost bad. <laughs> well, the film would gross 191 million on a budget of 40 million. So for 1987, that's a big damn success. Uh, Dalton would follow the film with 1989's License to Kill before being replaced in 1995 by Pierce Brosnan, who finally got to be Bond after being dicked around by NBC. So he got to realize his dream for a few years, and then his dream got taken away from him after everybody hated Die Another Day. Well, what about that? Is that how excited he was for a fifth film and everyone else wasn't? <laughs> he was like, yeah, I'm getting ready to do the fifth one. They're like, hey, we're actually going to reboot it. And he went, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I would love if while he was giving an interview about how excited he was for part five, they were announcing Daniel Craig as the new Bond. Like on the next channel. <laughs> they're like, we got to cut away from you, Pierce, because they're announcing the new Bond. Wait, what? And then they just cut off, <laughs> cut him off. Ah, then they do something. I mean, then they do some like shady shit where they didn't tell him for like the longest time that, hey, you're not doing a fifth movie. Yeah, they strung him along for a while because they weren't entirely sure what they were going to do. So they wanted to have him in their back pocket just in case. But then once they committed to a reboot with with a new guy. It did take them a while to let him know. Which is a dick move, especially after everything he went through trying to be Bond. His out his outro is anything but graceful. Yeah, he's probably the only one they he's the only one they ever had. He was actually like legitimately asking enthusiastically, not negatively, like, "Hey, fifth film, right? Fifth, we're doing this again." Like he wants to do it. Every actor's been like, "Oh my god, you want me to do a fifth film?" Well, why? I think you know things have gotten bitter. There's bad blood there. Uh, Pierce Brosnan recently did an interview with GQ. You know, those videos where actors will like reminisce about their careers. Well, he yeah. did one of uh, because he's in Black Adam and he spent about two minutes on James Bond. He talked about Mrs. Doubtfire for like 10, 15 minutes. So he did. Yeah, there's he's he's over it. He's done. Well, yeah, I would honestly, I would be too. Like at that point, like, you know, obviously he kept a good spirit trying to get the role for GoldenEye. He finally got it. And then to do that, um, like, again, think about how every other actor if, has responded to even a third James Bond movie. Connery was done. He's like, dude, I want the fuck out. No, I don't want to do another Bond movie. Moore's like, dude, I did my contract. Like, no, fuck off. And then they convinced him. Um, <laughs> Even Craig, at, after like Skyfall, was like, I want to slit my wrist on an interview. Like, Jesus Christ, man. He was the only, he, he was literally, Bryson was literally the only actor that went, I would do this till the day I die to keep getting me Bond. And they turned around and said, unlike the other guys who they were like, oh, no, we need you. Come back. Come on. They went like, yeah, man. Yeah. Yeah. Just stick around. We'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. And <laughs> And I then picture, they confirm a reboot, and then they go, should we tell him? No, 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 don't tell him. I picture the, the way they told, I know this isn't what happened, but I, this is how I picture it happening. They bring Pierce into a into a big, you know, conference table. It's him and the broccolis. And they just go, raise your hand if you're playing James Bond. And he starts to raise his hand, and they're like, not so fast, Pierce. 
<laughs> that's that's how they told him. Jesus. <laughs> I, I feel like he questioned them. He's like, who says I hear about Ruby? And they just went, as they're eating, oh. No one told you yet? Oh, wow. We should not fire that assistant. I thought we had him tell you already. Fierce, buddy, pal. We have a new bond. <laughs> I, yeah, no, I, I would be pretty done. Like, after that, I get it. If there's like some bad blood and he doesn't want to talk about I would, I understand that completely. I'd be like, no, man, I don't want to talk about that. Like, they fucked me over. I wanted to do a fifth movie. And they did. And even if, like, I feel like he probably would have understood more. Like, I feel like, I, you know, I can't speak for him, but I know, like, for me personally, had they just told, like, let's say if it was me, right? If somehow I have acting abilities, was fucking James Bond. Um, and they just tell me straight up, like, hey, look, that last film didn't do too great. We d- we're not right now. I in a fifth film with you. We are highly considering rebooting. I'd be like, hey, thanks for the heads up. Because then think about it, you're a working actor. You can start looking at other shit to do. You can start being like, hey, cool. It looks like this isn't going anywhere. So what? I'm done with this. I've done my time. Let me look at our projects. Start looking at our scripts, audition for more stuff, you know, yada, yada, yada. But when you shrink someone along on what they are thinking is a guaranteed paycheck. Yeah. And then when you reboot it and you still proceed to not fucking tell the guy. And also, like, it's not his fault. I don't blame Brosnan for Die Another Day being a subpar Bond movie. I blame whoever came up with the invisible car. (laughs) So... Yeah, there's a lot of blame to go around, but because he's the face of the franchise, they figure if they boot him, they get a new guy, all problems are solved. And while, yeah, that did work out, I don't think that's the, that's not a, they could have handled it every time. It's not going to work like that every time. Yeah, they could have handled it better, basically. Like, yeah, it worked out, obviously, which probably also didn't help his his anger. Like, (laughs) as soon as I was like the most successful Bond film up to that point, yeah, I'm sure that didn't help. No, he's probably going, what the fuck? I wonder if he went and saw it intending to just hate it, but in the, in the back of his head, he's like, god damn it, this is pretty good. <laughs> Son of a bitch. Right? He goes see Quantum, he's like, aha, they stumbled. Quantum sucked. They'll get rid of him now. And this guy comes in, he's like, fuck, they kept him. He goes to see No Time to Die. Bond dies at the end. He, he calls them. He's like, so your so you're Craig kid is out, I see. You know, i I'm just my door's open. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> black black guy didn't take off. So I'm just saying I got some I got some time. <laughs> Jesus. Ah, oh, Pierce, we love you, kind of. Ah, oh. uh, he, he was done dirty, so like you know, I, I I I understand. He was absolutely done dirty by this. Yeah, he was. Um, all right, let's let's discuss the living daylights, uh, some highlights. First off, um, this is John Barry's final Bond film that he uh did the music for. And I love the synthy 80s Bond score. I don't know why, but I think it really works for the character. Dude, I'm telling you, like, it's so weird how more continued his his take on the character well into the 80s, but watching this one, especially as watching Octopussy. I suppose he feels so much more like a 70s film. This feels like an 80s movie, and the score is one of those reasons. The 80s Bond run started in 1987. That doesn't make any fucking sense, <laughs> but you're totally right. 
all of Moore's 80s Bond films feel like an extension of the 70s. Yeah, it's so weird. Like, obviously, the style reflects the 80s, but like the filming techniques reflect the 70s. And then you get to this one, and it's like the more the faster paced editing and movement and pacing and um the music, and you're like, wow, this actually feels like an 80s Bond film. Why didn't you just get Dalton sooner and make an 80s Bond film? Well, as we're gonna find out at the film guys and facts, this might be my favorite film guys and facts we've ever done. They were talking about Dalton a long time ago. I'm talking when Connery was hanging it up. Oh my god. Yeah, he's older than he looks. Um he's old then because he doesn't even look that old in Doom Patrol. Right? He's yeah. Um, what do you think of Aha's track, the title track, The Living Daylights? Not my favorite. But not the worst. It's mid to me. It's a mid one. I love when a one hit wonder gets a Bond theme. Because it's like they had so they bet so much on this artist. So like these guys are going to be around forever to get like aha uh-huh, or like what's it, garbage in the 90s. <laughs> Forgot they got garbage in the 90s. Damn it. It's yeah, it's hilarious when that happens. <laughs> I would say I would say god damn it. I'd say they did a better they did it the probably the best with the Craig era of films and picking artists for the for the opening themes. Like it's a usually an artist that's still going strong. Sure. And I like most of the I pretty much like most actually most of the ones they picked for Daniel Craig's um quite a bit. Um even the one that I waited two years on like a lot of people. I realized I'm alone on that island with no time to die, but I I case you guys haven't already heard i don't do you know uh, even saying when they were doing it for the this recent halloween trilogy when they were releasing carpenter's score before the film came out i won't listen to it i will not do it until i pay money to sit down in the theater and watch the movie i will not listen to the score early so i literally did not for two years because the pandemic did not listen to the theme song to no time to die until i was in the theater two years later watching it you proud of that I mean, it paid off because I actually quite liked the song to that one. Billy, I, I think Billy Eilish. I was listening to it constantly for two years because it's all I had with that movie. It's all I like I had. How the option in the spectrum. You listen to it constantly. I was like, nope, nope, not until I'm in that theater. <laughs> but um, uh, was it Billy Eilish, I did it right. Yeah, for that one. Yeah, she. I I'm not too familiar with her work, but she she crushed it on that. I quite enjoyed that one. I love this underground collection of rejected Bond themes. It's such a cool thing to look into. Like Johnny Cash did a did a song for Thunderball. Okay. It feels like a country western Thunderball kind of song. It does not sound like a Bond theme. I would I would love for them to go left field and do something like that, or get like like Slipknot or like Zombie. Or I was gonna say Manson, but uh, let's avoid that one for now. Um, <laughs> if you don't yeah. know, just look up his name on the internet. You'll tell oh, yeah. Um, but like go left field like that. I would love just basic. Look, I want a heavy metal Bond theme song. I don't care if they don't use it. I just like the idea of that. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, I know Muse did one for Skyfall that got rejected. That was pretty good. It's called Supremacy. It ended up on one of their albums. It's a good song. You said Muse or the used? Muse. Muse, okay. I was like, wait, did you say Muse or the 
thieves. Okay, Mia's got you. Uh, Radiohead yeah. went for Spectre that got rejected. It was too somber, which is kind of funny when you listen to what the actual song was. <laughs> yeah, I was like, one, the actual song, and two, you hired Radiohead. I don't think they have anything that's happy. Well, the way it works, like, they don't hire artists. Artists come to them for the most part. I mean, sometimes they'll have one in mind. Like, I think Adele was, like, the one they wanted for Skyfall from the start. But all, like, most of the time, artists will hear, oh, they're making a new James Bond. I'm going to submit a song. They might pick mine. That's kind of how it works, which is kind of cool. That's kind of cool. It's like, hey, you literally all of you have a shot just based off. And especially it's kind of like, it. I feel like it, it charges their creativity a bit. Because they're really just going off the fucking the title of the film at that time. Yeah. Like, do you know who did the original theme for The Man with the Golden Gun? No. Alice Cooper. Oh, that would have been such an interesting fucking... It got rejected. It got rejected last minute, and they replaced it with somebody named Lulu. I don't know who the hell she is, but her song is kind of goofy. But Cooper's Man with the Golden Gun is on one of his albums. Like, I've heard it. It's a pretty kick-ass song. God, that, been so, that literally is like what I was just talking about. We're getting like a metal hand, a metal version. Like, God, that's the closest it ever came to. We're so close. I would have loved that. <laughs> but it's neat that yeah, look up like rejected Bond songs. There's so many great songs out there that were almost Bond themes. It's really neat. Uh, but yeah, I, I always liked Aha's song. I don't, doesn't make any sense. But then again, you know, the lyrics to any, all of these songs don't make any goddamn sense. No, I mean, again, if they're doing it the way you say they're doing it, Probably at the time, just based off the title, like they have no frame of reference what the movie's going to be. I do wonder with the with the Bond ones because I think a lot. I'm sorry with the Craig ones. I do think a lot of them actually are probably the closest they ever get to tying to the plot. I wonder if they had an idea of what the movie was going to be. Again, that could just be the online culture. You can actually read a log line usually if it's released. I know Billie Eilish like submitted her song, like, and and got picked. Like I remember reading about that. So. I think too many. I know. I know Adele was allowed to read the script, and she recorded Skyfall in one take in about ten minutes. Which is that makes amazing. sense. I that makes sense for Adele. She is like I may be a metal guy, but I cannot deny the powerful voice that Adele has. Yeah, she's good. Um, but yeah, it's a uh, it's pretty cool. My favorite nonsense lyrics of any Bond theme is Thunderball by Tom Jones. The lyrics to that don't make a lick of sense, but he's trying. Dude, the early songs, man, you could tell these guys were like, look, we have no idea what it's about. We just got a title. Here we go. Shirley Bassey's told, the bad guy's name is Goldfinger. He loves gold. What can you do with that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we open with a test of the double O's. And why the double O's are doing a paintball test is beyond me. Surely they've proved themselves at this point if they're double O's. Well, like, they're just having fun, man. Have you ever played paintball? It's just a fun, good time with buddies. I have, but when I played paintball, I didn't jump out of an airplane onto the Rock of Gibraltar. I mean, neither did I. I went to a paintball course. <laughs> it is fun, but like, if I'm a trained government assassin, I would feel like this is a waste of my time. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, I yeah, because I, I mean, I'm not. I I am a simpleton in the military, and I had a blast. <laughs> Oh, it's fun. Paintball's fun. I've done it a couple yeah. times. But again, that's because I think we're, we're peasants. Let's just be honest. We're, we're peasants. So we get to have fun. Our little Call of Duty moments there. <laughs> like I, The one I went to, dude, they had like a, like trenches. Like you, There was different courses. You went through all of them, and each one was a different theme. Yeah. And um, 
you know, obviously they had the last year really fun because last one was essentially like a tennis like court, but with all the things, all the fucking barriers in place to hide behind. That one was fucking fun as shit. You know, teams on both sides are shooting each other. And the last one was like a trench. They dug trenches and he went in there and we're like, they had the mounds you could lay on. Like it was, it was a blast. That's awesome, man. Yeah. Um, but again, we're not secret service agents. So that to us is fun. <laughs> well, a government agent is sent to kill the double O's. And I'm like, these are the elite of MI6's secret service. And these guys go down like fucking chumps. I mean, look, they're playing paintball. How elite are they? Well, Bond's there. <laughs> He's he's pretty fucking elite. He also, I think, is the only he picks up on something as a foot very quickly. He's like, oh, that's because he hears double o four fall off a mountain. Yeah, <laughs> that part is brutal, man. When they like talk about a film that tells you like this is not Roger Moore's James Bond. When that dude cuts the rope, and you see the bond. Uh, that double fall and plummet to his death, you're like, oh my god, this is not Roger Moore anymore. <laughs> nope, not anymore. So Dalton's bond is introduced. We get a little cool music sting, which continues throughout the movie. Well, this might be my favorite like score of the Bond franchise, is the Living Daylights, or at least in the you know, the pre-Craig. I really do see like a massive divide between like, you know, 2006 on is like a completely different vibe it's it's, it's bond but it's like it's not as bond as it was you get what i'm saying right it's modernized yeah it's you know whereas like this this run from connery to brosnan right the first 20 it's, yeah like don't get me wrong obviously with each new actor in each new decade it's getting modernized for that decade for that actor blah 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 but you also see what they are constantly trying to retain certain elements of Bond throughout this entire run. Like certain things will not go away. They keep popping up constantly. I'm not talking about fucking JW Pepper, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like certain tropes didn't go away. They kept going. Whereas by the time Craig came on board with it being a reboot. <laughs> I want to do an origin story of Sheriff J.W. Pepper, and I want to cast Daniel Craig doing his southern accent. I'll let that one slide. I do. <laughs> let that man do southern accents till the day he dies. He clearly loves doing it. That's all he wants to do. All he cares. I've actually heard the new Knives Out's really good, but that's not the point. <laughs> uh, but you could tell by the time we got to Craig, and they were with that that they really did take the idea of reboot seriously. You know what I mean? Like obviously reboot and timeline, all that stuff. But also I'm saying like, okay, let's actually for once, instead of like modernizing certain aspects, but then trying to retain certain aspects of Bond, everything's getting modernized. This is a 21st century Bond. We are now in the 2000s. Let us update this character. Isn't it strange that in the initial run of Bond films, first 20, there are three different films that feature a giant space laser. I actually did not realize that. I know uh, Goldfinger, obviously. Goldeneye. Goldeneye, sorry. Also, Diamonds Are Forever and Die Another Day. Big ass space laser. Wait, Brosnan has to deal with it twice. I forgot Die Another Day has to. Yeah, Brosnan has to deal with two giant space lasers. Two, and they book in his. Yes. <laughs> I think I mean. 
I'm I'm realizing that for the first time right now. <laughs> That's fantastic. Uh, okay, so Bond takes down the bad guy, ends up on some chick's boat, who's like, "Why can't I find a real man?" And Bond drops from the sky. Great timing. And she doesn't ask any questions. She's just like, "You, huh? How about it?" Dude, the uh, God, porn, you know, okay, look, the porn parodies, I, I'm sure do a great job in their own way of finding a way to make a fucking film, but porn it up. I feel like with Bond, that shit's just like handed to them because it's like, let's just be honest, it's already there. It's already there because in the water bond, you can drop from the sky, land on a yacht. And she just instantly looks at me and goes, oh, my God, James Bond, let me take my clothes off. We have to do this. That's the word they established in the Bond franchise. And more in real life, it doesn't matter who you are. She's going to freak out. She's going to be like, why are you on my boat? Get off. License to fill. There we go. That's all I got. Were you thinking about the whole time I was talking? Yes, I was trying to, I was trying to go like, I got to get one. That's what I, that's what I decided on. Golden cock. That's oh, not as creative, but okay. Here, I got one. Octopusy. No, go fuck yourself. How's that sound? <laughs> Don't, no, now I'm mad. You shoot my idea. I thought it was great. <laughs> ah, you're not wrong though. Uh, the golden cock. Just oh, take gold and cock. That's Austin Powers three. <laughs> Um. Okay. So, you me. You don't have to change anything. Despite you fucked me, but you changed something. <laughs> That's true. Just keep with the spy. You love me. Have that confusion happen. Damn it. Oh. So Bond is Doctor. Yes. God damn it. <laughs> Sorry. Ah. <laughs> uh. Okay. All right. Moving on. <laughs> Bond's told to help this defecting Russian general defect. And defection means when one political person decides to abandon their country and join another government, mostly. Did you just mansplain defection to me? I explained. You can't mansplain something to another man, you idiot. Yes, you can. It's called explaining. And it was for the audience who might not know what defect means. I know what it means, damn it. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to them. <laughs> anyway, General Georgi Koskov is this fucking wimp who is like, James Bond, I need you. I can't do nothing by myself. I need you, James Bond. And yeah, he is like ridiculously, it's over the top. And it's supposed to be over the top because he's full of shit. Yeah, I love for some reason, uh, for, I'm sure those who have played Mario Solid will get this, but like in that game series, whenever Snake dies, this this the scene cuts to his general going, Snake, 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 like just for some reason, that's what I thought with you, this guy in Bond, just him going like James, James, James. It's yeah, he's he's annoying. He's a he's a hanger on, and he has his girlfriend pose as a sniper so that Bond will kill her. And Bond's like, nah, she's too hot. 
and shoots her in the hand. That's, that's the just, first thing. Like, look, man, if you want to do first off, not a bad plan, okay? But if you want it to actually work, don't hire a hot ass woman because Bond would immediately try to sleep with her. Yeah, it's it's like a reflex. He can't help it. <laughs> his eyes lock, his dick gets hard. It's it just happens. Like there's nothing you can do. It it happens. Why am I starting to sound like it's a horror movie villain? You can't run. You can't hide. He can't be bargained with. He can't be reasoned with. And he absolutely will not stop. (laughs) Uh, That's from the Terminator. For all y'all out there. Wondering. (laughs) When he sees a hot woman. Pretty much. Is that, has he ever been rejected in 25 films? Ever? I mean, at first, initially, but then he comes back and her entire opinion has changed in like an hour. <laughs> yeah. Or he just, you know, and uh, Goldfinger, he forces himself on her. What we're saying, ladies and gentlemen, is Bond may not be a role model for a developing young man on how they should treat women. Just He's a saying. sexual predator with a gun. <laughs> that's, that is, that's pretty much the... Like that's 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 it. And <laughs> look, lads, gentlemen, if she says no, she says no. Walk away. You don't keep pressing, hoping she'll say yes after twenty-five no's. Yeah. Got it. Um. So Bond shoots this lady, doesn't kill her. Saunders, the guy, is like, "How dare you disobey the mission? I'm going to talk to M." And Bond is like, "You know what? Fucking do it." Go ahead. See what happens. I do like, yeah, how, like, you know, usually, obviously, Bond's very combative with him. Like, he doesn't really give a shit. And, you know, obviously, there's respect there still. Um, But I like how in this one, again, and you see, again, a lot more of it with Craig, he's openly just like, I don't give a shit. Talk to them, dude. Like, I don't. I'll tell them what I did myself. You think I care? Yeah. In License to Kill, he straight up gets his double O status revoked because he's on a vengeance quest and he keeps going. (laughs) So yeah, he's he doesn't care. Um, Koskov goes through the pipeline, which is kind of cool. Uh, there's that big Russian lady who uses her tits to distract the guy. It it's funny because I looked away for a second and I looked and I was like, "What's the Russian lady doing?" Because I kind of because it's been a while since I've seen it. And as soon as her show came off, I was like, "Oh wow, we are okay." Yeah. That's the second time that tits are used to distract somebody from something they really should be paying attention to in this movie. Like it happens twice. Um, yeah. Uh, so Cos- I like to say men are better than that, but let's just let's just be honest. We're not. We're, we're we not. would all do exactly. We would all not hear the giant like explosion pipeline noise and see all the red lights because there's tits right here. We all we all would do that. Yeah. No. We're. No, we're we're sad. We're sad in that regard. <laughs> uh, he ends up in the pipeline. He gets shipped over to Vienna. Bond drives away, goes to Harrods to pick up the, pick up some delicious food for the guy. Uh, we meet our. Uh, so this is the first appearance of um, Caroline Bliss as Money Penny. This is uh, Lois Maxwell is no longer Money Penny, and uh, she's okay. Lois Maxwell will always be Money Penny. Yeah, uh, I think my my second my second favorite behind her is actually you know uh, uh, the newer ones with Craig. I like her a lot. Naomi Harris. Well, she actually is a character who 
gets to do stuff. She's not just sitting at a desk, hopelessly flirting with a man who doesn't want her. Yeah, well, actually, I like how, again, you know, the like I said, with them actually modernizing this bond, I think I, I think it was in Skyfall where he tries to make a joke at at Money and Penny, like, go back to the, you know, classic, like, Bond joking, and she just shuts him down. She's like, yeah, nope, dude. I don't remember I that. Think, I think, I think he, I can't, it's been a while since I've really watched these. I want to say he did try to make a joke, and she, like, said something, like, snarky back. Oh, she definitely, yeah, she 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 yeah. pushes back for sure. Yeah. There's a I, want, I don't say she like shut him down, but it's like she pushed back probably more than the other ones. Like, nope, not 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 this money penny. <laughs> the other money pennies, if Bond ever made an advance, would immediately open their legs and oh, we know ignore everything else that's happening in real lives. Yeah, there was a was it was it the Carnery or Mole one where like there's a whole segment where she inv- imagines has a fantasy that we watch play out on the screen. That was in Die Another Day. She has okay. like huge like holographic training glasses and she uses them to fuck Bond. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, at work. But like, she's on her desk and Q's like, "What are you doing?" And she's like, "What? What's the? Oh, she says, just trying them on." And he says, "It's quite hard, isn't it?" And she goes, you have no idea. Like, Come on. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this general guy is telling M that the new guy in charge of the KGB is this psycho who has declared death to all spies and the future of British-Soviet relations is in chaos. And with, and with no evidence at all, M's like, well, clearly I believe you. Like there is, it's weird how quick M is. He doesn't even tell Bond like follow up on this. He just like, we need to do something about this. <laughs> it's which so, is, cool. which is funny. He's like, look, this isn't the first time they've done like this storyline of like deaths all the double O's. Like it's been re- like Skyfall did it also. And I'm sure those other ones I'm not remembering off the top of my head. Well, the, just... the bread and butter of the Bond franchise is the Cold War. Yeah, <laughs> it really is. But I mean, hey, that's fine. It, it works obviously. Um, I do think it's funny. Yeah. Yeah, M is so like gung ho, especially if you watch like if your introduction is obviously with these Craig ones first for those who grew up on those, and you see how M is not like that at all, like especially when uh, when it switches from Judy Dench to uh, Ray Fines taking on the role, because he's he was just like, nope, nope, we have to make sure this is a credible threat before we take take it on. And he was always like trying to be like, nope, Bond, don't Bond, don't no Bond. What do you <laughs> oh, want? Yeah, true, but like, wouldn't you want to verify that the leader of the Russian, uh, like the Russian, like KGB, is a psycho before you have him assassinated and possibly start World War Three? Yes, I mean, look, I always understood. Again, that's a, what one of my more favorite dynamics with the Craig era between him and that version of him. It's just like his Bond actually being the one to be like, no, I need to go take care of this and. You know, and being like, no, Bond, don't, don't, don't bug it up. Like, stop it. <laughs> we need to make sure we're good before we do this. Down, boy. Down. Um, but then Koskov is immediately captured by the KGB and flown away. And that's when Bond's like, all right, something smells here. <laughs> this is this isn't kosher. Something's wrong. And uh, we also meet Necros, uh, Whitaker's assassin, who's one of my favorite. Uh, henchman in the franchise because he's just you know physically imposing has a like he keeps changing his accent he's a great infiltrator he's like a fucking terminator 
Yeah, he is legitimately like he just gets in there and gets the job done. And I think he's one of the German terrorists in Die Hard. Oh, I have to watch Die Hard again. No. I think he's one of them. Uh, so that there's a giant gap in my notes <laughs> from here. <laughs> we meet. Look, uh, yeah. Look, I do like this film. But I stand by in that a lot of these Bond films do not need to be over two hours long. They can start trimming some fat. Sure. And because after like this, the initial like snow chase sequence, which is a badass fucking sequence. Um, I mean, it turns to the car, turns into like the fucking ski stuff or whatever. Um, really cool sequence. After that, huge gap in my notes because it's just a lot of like essentially setting the pieces in play for the finale. And it, just, it does go on for quite a while. Well, first we meet our other bad guy, uh, Brad Whitaker, arms dealer, who is obsessed with war, and is Joe Don Baker, which is so weird to see him in a Bond film. Three times, actually. He plays CIA agent Jack Wade in the Brosnan films. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I, I guess Peter Slider was in the continuity. He had one leg, had to retire, so they had to get a new CIA guy. Yeah, again, glad they renewed and we got Felix Slider back. Yeah, well, then he died again. Oh, yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry, no time to die. Yeah. Um, so they're playing, he, him and Whitaker are work, or Whitaker and uh, Koskov are working together to steal from the Russian government, like, and then use and buy opium and sell that on the black market. It's not a very well thought out. Plan, nor is it really compelling for a Bond film. Usually these, like, they're, you know, world destruction is at stake. In this case, it's like 500 million in opium gets sold. It's like Bond could really just walk away. Yeah. I, I do wonder if that, it being, again, but at the same time, again, when I talk about it, it feels like the most 80s, obviously, for those who know a little bit about history, 80s was the big, big decade of the war on fucking drugs. Um, a big decade of that. Even though I know that's counterintuitive to the what you hear about the decadence of cocaine, um, but <laughs> in the government, right, they were promoting the war on drugs, so a lot of films had that flavor to them. And so, again, like, yeah, you're right for a Bond film, not the highest stakes ever, especially at this point when we've had other more dire things. But also makes it feel like, again, going back to it, actually feeling like an '80s Bond film, it that does help it. But I feel like that's accomplished so much better in License to Kill because you've got the personal investment and the drug thing where the guy's trying to like ship, you know, millions in untraceable cocaine through gas trucks. So you've oh, got yeah. the drug thing and you've got the personal stakes. So that I think it works better in that film. It absolutely works better in that one. Absolutely. I'm just saying like this does add again, definitely saying, hey, this is an 80s Bond film to the point that like. And Rambo fucking three did it for Christ's sakes also, but he helps the Middle East because they had the, for those who don't know, I can't remember the name, but at that time, Russia and part of the Middle East were at war with each other around the time. That's why if you watch a lot of like 80s action films, that seems to happen a lot. Like Rambo three did, obviously this James Bond did it, will have the American final way onto, because at the time, I think it was Iraq, I believe it was specifically... The country I can't remember which Middle Eastern country it was that Russia was constantly going against Afghanistan. Afghanistan, Afghanistan? thank yeah. you, thank you. Uh, Afghanistan. So you know, obviously, a lot of times we'll find a way to Afghanistan and help the rebels. Yeah, 
the Mujahideen, who, for those of you who follow your history, evolved into the fucking Taliban. Yes. So back when they weren't crazy. <laughs> ah, yeah. We, we um, armed them. We, uh, a scrappy little rebel named Osama bin Laden yes. was those guys against the Russians. And we were like, let's back that horse. And, well, we all know what happened later. Yeah, so you see how this whole this whole history thing works? Um, but yeah, and uh, so that's why if you're wondering, again, why I say it has that 80s flavor, because again, a lot of action films did it. The American hero finally went to Afghanistan, helped the Mujahideen out in their war against Russia, because Russia was trying to fuck with Afghanistan. It doesn't really fit in this movie, though. It is kind of just shoved into the third act. It is, and again, all it does is almost tell you, like, "Hey, look, Bond's in the '80s now." Like, yeah, pretty much. Like, see, we've got Afghan rebels, we've got opium, we've got an aha. This is an '80s movie. Yeah, I'm like, okay, I get it. It's an '80s Bond. I understand. <laughs> oh, all right. So we meet our Bond girl, Kara or Kara Malovi, a cellist who is also a terrible judge of character. And has been hooking up with this general. And then as soon as she meets Bond, it's immediately like, oh, I I want this guy. I want this one now. And uh, it takes a Ferris wheel to have them start, you know, hooking up. And in this scene on the Ferris wheel, Bond says an insane line that I can't believe more people don't consider like ridiculously dark. Uh, he goes to kiss her and she's like, what about Georgi? And he tells her, and I quote, don't think, just let it happen. (laughs) Like, wow. Basically saying like, ignore any instinct you may have to walk away. This is going to happen. It's best if you just accept it. Hi. (laughs) He's like, look, lady, I've saved you. I did not kill you earlier. (laughs) My God. After this first, I'm serenading you right now at Flowers and a time at the amusement park. I'm taking you to that hotel. Your clothes will come off. Mine will come off. I will be inside you. Am I clear? That's how this night's going. Oh, it's the James system. <laughs> I don't have a acronym land planned out. I should have done that. I'll do that for the next Bond movie. <laughs> but uh, it is creepy. Uh, and ultimately, she's just like, all right. Yeah, uh, that general imagine, yeah. who I've been like pining over this whole movie. It's all about you now. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Just take everything I just said in that scenario, like the long form of what you said, and then instead of your normal human response, like, oh my god, fucking creepy rapist, I'm out. Every woman in the Bond universe goes, I'm wet. Where's the hotel room? It's like, wait, what? To all right, to be fair, in these movies. I'm not saying you should do this because it's fucked up. But when the dude with the gun who you've seen kill many people suddenly starts coming on to you, I understand why they don't say no. It's horrible and that's not okay, but I understand not all. I don't think every conquest in this franchise is entirely consensual. I don't know where to go. With that statement, because I don't know how controversial or okay, I I don't know where to go. We've essentially turned James Bond into a murder rapist. So I mean, at this point, where else can we go but up? 
the hole's been dug. And this is the issue. I'm way too good at digging it further without trying. You are. You are really good at that. <laughs> anyway, uh, Bond and Kara hook up. Necros kills Saunders in a weird, like, electronic door mishap. It was kind of unclear what happened there. It looked like, again, it being the more brutal, darker take on Bond, it looked like this thing damn near split him in half, is what I'm assuming. Fuck. That's some power. That's how it looked to me. And if so, holy shit, what a way to go. Yeah. Jesus. Maybe if Bond hadn't been thinking about his blue balls, he might have been a little bit more alert to handle that situation. Oh, he was alert in his pants, just not his head. Ah, oh, James. Rock hard. Radio the whole time. Just waiting. I would love if they made a Bond movie where he just has a visible boner the whole time. And then it's never addressed. People will occasionally like glance down and be like, is he, is he just, are you serious? But nobody ever really talks about it. It's only because Josh showed me the damn movie recently, but basketball with, um, uh, Matt, uh, Matt Stone, Jay Parker, South Park guys. There's like a, there's like this joke they were doing where they have like these huge dicks in the locker, <laughs> and everyone they're naked. Everyone keeps trying to talk to them. They keep just looking down, and in one case, this one lady comes in pissed off. She's like, "What the throbbing cock? I mean, the fuck <laughs> keeps doing that." Oh my god! And, and anytime they turn around, you see it briefly swing into camera. And they put in sound effects and stuff. That's how I'm imagining this with James Bond right now. Oh, that's that's hilarious. Do you? Th- all right, you know what? We've we've dug the hole. Let's dig. Let's dig further. Oh, let's oh, go. for once, I'm not digging. Usually, I was expecting you to get us out of this hole, but okay, let's go. I don't think it's ever addressed. I mean, it's implied in all of these films. Do you think Bond is packing? Absolutely. I don't think he is. What? I think this is all I think the whole Bond persona comes from penis envy. I think he's rocking a micropene and it's causing him to get a hero complex. Micro I like how you say micropene, not penis. Micropene. Yeah, you can thank Dan Cummins for that. <laughs> I've heard that word a hundred fucking times. <laughs> but uh yeah, it's I I don't know. I just I think he's good, but you know, as Michael Caine said in Austin Powers Three, it's not the size, mate. It's how you use it. You said way more cockney than that, but yes, yeah. I I don't want to try to do Michael Caine. I can't do it. It's fucking <laughs> difficult, especially when he goes because he he Irish Firecar. He does go quite cockney. With... He, can't, he can't do anything else. Like that's what's what he does. It's who he is. It's who he is. <laughs> oh. Wow, okay. Uh, we I see we're on different sides of this argument. Real quick, funny Michael Caine story I saw on the on I think it was the Graham Norton show. He was at a party and he kept introducing him like people kept saying hi and to him and some lady walked up to him and asked him, Are you a drug dealer? And he's like, No, no, I'm not a drug dealer. She's like, Then why does everybody why does everybody call you my cocaine? <laughs> she had to be like, like he had to be like, Are you are well, I don't want to talk to you anymore. You're a moron. But anyway, I love my. I don't. I would. Yeah, I'd just leave that conversation. Be like, I don't want to talk to this person. 
But yeah, I think Bond, it's either like the biggest ever or the smallest ever. There is no middle ground with James Bond. Yeah, he's not rocking average. No, no you don't have that kind of lifestyle. You're not drinking Bollinger champagne and eating caviar for every meal and sleeping with every woman you encounter if you're rocking five inches. <laughs> let's yeah, let's be honest here. I, I think, and this is just based off the knowledge of the cutaway lines sometimes when they are like, especially at the end of the film, and they usually cut to a different like the boat or something. You just hear, "Oh, James." Yep. I'm saying he's packing some heat there and that it it's i'm saying a solid you know what i'm gonna be conservative nine inches that's me conservative that's i wouldn't be surprised conservative estimates i wouldn't be surprised you saw a whole like foot long fucking subway club there dude i mean he does have all of his suits tailored like maybe he's got a at a third pocket <laughs> the rocket pocket as he calls it I'm just saying, I think he's packing. All right. I'm going to go one further. I'm enjoying this. I don't usually get to dig the hole. So I'm, I'm having... side note in case anyone was wondering why, uh, before we ask this next question, we dig even further. Uh, the it's been answered as to apparently because I guess people cared that much to how, um, God, he was in bodies, bodies, bodies. The guy from he dated Kate Beckinsale and Kim Kardashian. Oh, uh, Pete Davidson. Thank you, Pete Davidson. Apparently he's confirmed he's he's packing. I I knew that. I what he you know the people he was pulling, he had to be. It's yeah. not personality, that's for goddamn sure. I mean, I think he's funny, but I think he's funny too, but I also think he's like fucking crazy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, apparently he confirmed he's uh packing because I guess the world cared because they or everyone just doesn't want to show up like how does he get these women? And I guess he admitted to like a friend of his who outed it was like Oh yeah, he told me he's fucking packing. He has like nine inches or something like that. And then one of his exes, I, I not Kate Beckinsale, she's very quiet about that. But one of them mentioned, I think it was Ariana Grande, mentioned she had like he had like ten inches. So apparently the dude is well endowed. I wonder if he's like, was he trying to keep that a secret? Maybe. I assume he'd be like telling, like that'd be his opener. <laughs> How you doing? I'm rocking 10 inches. You want to go home? Like, there it is. <laughs> you think that's a, you think that's my leg? We're going to play a game. Is that my arm or something else? <laughs> There's only one right answer. <laughs> God. <laughs> well, now I know the secret to Pete Davidson's success. And it's BDE, yeah, man. Big big dick energy. Apparently it is. Uh you know what? Good for him. Because guess what? I think he's funny and I'm I'm proud of him for pulling in women like Kate Beckinsale, Kim Kardashian. Good for you, Pete. Good for you. I do think yeah, I I think he's funny. I love that his first name is a, another word for a penis, because apparently he's 60% penis. <laughs> so <laughs> uh, it's appropriate. Anyway. Yes. So my follow-up question, actually, this ties in great to that. Of the actors who played James Bond, who is packing the most heat, and why is it Timothy Dalton? <laughs> There's only one answer. <laughs> actually, you know, it's probably Roger Moore. I mean, that would explain a lot. 
it has to be like I. It's not Sean Connery. I felt like, look, dare I say it? And I know he's a look. Say so about Sean Connery. I thought he was a great man. I love the guy. I love his movies. Great man. Let's slow down on that one. Great actor. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, you know he does have that whole thing about slapping women. Um, <laughs> uh, I'll say it. I think he was average. I think a lot of the the women slapping was not just the time. I think he was airing out some frustrations on his package. I am not going to argue with you because that makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm going to say it. George Lazenby. I'm going to say he was probably packing. He wore kilts. That's a man thing to do. That's a yeah. masculine to do. You need to make sure that kilt was long enough. Yep, he's packing. <laughs> I mean, his whole movie is him just sleeping his way through a like rejuvenation center. So. Yeah, word got around. Yeah. They were like, you have to. Roger Moore, for, I want to say he is, because, look, seven films, he was visibly aging. But, goddammit, was that man confident for, like, seven goddamn films in what yeah. he was doing? He had to be packing. Absolutely. I'm with you. I feel like Pierce, I feel like he got some shrinkage due to NBC. Some mental shrinkage. I think I th- I would say Pierce is probably average, yeah. but he knew how to use it. That's true. Craig got his eviscerated by Lashif in the first movie, so he's not rocking anything. Yeah, I don't know how he still got laid after that, or even produced a child in No Time to Die. I don't think that was his kid. There's nothing Lashif... to back that up. There was never a DNA test. There's nothing to back that up. Lashif destroyed that in Casino Royale. Yeah, you don't get your balls bashed in by a rope four or five times and then like walk away unscathed. No. no. I do love like God Craig in that scene when he's like laughing at him as he's doing it. I'm just like, oh God, that would be oh how do you not break? That would be so painful. I was hoping Inspector when he met Mr. White again, he just gave him a quick thank you for arriving in time before the sheath cut his dick off. I was hoping for a little like, by the way, I owe you quite a lot. <laughs> In return, I'll fuck your daughter. How about that? Don't worry. Blanks now. Thanks to Lashif. Blank. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. I don't even remember <laughs> where in the fucking movie we were. But yeah, Timothy Dalton, 100%. That is like, everything in history movies exudes Big dick energy. Yeah, he's quiet. He talks when only when he needs to. He gets the job done, and then he gets the job done. He does, and if he's not average, but also knows how to use it. If if not, BDE. Yeah. All right. I'm glad we glad we could settle that. That's a that was a fun that was a fun convo. Talking about transparent stick and these subsequent actors. Yeah. All right. If there's one thing that's true, none of them are circumcised because they're all European. And that <laughs> is the final word. <laughs> okay. I don't really know what to say to that one. Good, good for them. <clears throat> um. All right. Bond meets Pushkin. Pushkin's like, it's not me. Bond's like, okay. And uh, decide to fake his death to initiate Whitaker and Koskov's first move. Which was good. I love Pushkin's fake death. He's like, Ugh. I think it's so 
It's not very well acted, but I like that because he's not supposed to. You get it. Yeah. So Whitaker and Koskov go do their thing. They get um, Kara thinks that, you know, she. She thinks Bond's a bad guy. She drugs him and then is like, oh, shit, I might be dating the bad guy. Uh, we also meet Felix Leiter for one scene, and he's played by Jack's ghost dad from Lost. Forgot about that. That was pretty cool. Oh yeah, I didn't. I uh, okay. I didn't watch the last. So I didn't know that. Yeah, he's 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 dead before the events of the show, so it's not a big secret. But mm. he's popping up as a ghost and being like, "I never loved you, son." No way. It was I do love you, son. Uh, he he backpedaled a lot. <laughs> uh, they break out of jail. They run into the Taliban. And they're like, "Help us!" And he's like, "No." Then he's like, "Well, maybe." Then they show up. The opium goes up in a plane. Bond puts a bomb in there. He fights Necros on the plane in one of the best fight scenes in the Bond franchise. <laughs> Bond versus Necros on that plane. That was done phenomenally well. Oh, that was a good one. Especially when they're like hanging on the back of it. Who yeah. like the the sim, the semi uncharted moment? Obviously, uncharted probably took from that quite a bit, which is fine. I, I get it. But um, homage. It's homage. Yeah. But yeah, it's definitely like a really neat sequence. I agree. And then satisfying when Necros is like falling off and he's like, please, please. And all Bond can think of is this is for Saunders and gives him the boot. He flies off into the, yeah, it's great. I do oh, love yeah, that, like, that mad scramble when Bond's like, oh shit, the bomb. <laughs> Tries to find <laughs> the bomb. Yeah, I like how he has. And I was like, Bond, I remember when watching, like, Bond, why do you close the door? Like, you could actually just kept that open and tossed it out there. But then he has a quick, cool moment later with the bomb. But, um, yeah, I like how he has that moment to recube. He's like, oh, thank God I survived. <laughs> and he's like, wait, shit, the bomb. No. <laughs> it's the only moment in the entire franchise where I see, like, where Bond's like, oh, crap. Like, he forgot something. <laughs> and he's like, oh, God. It's great. Again, you know, human reaction to something. Yeah, like you, you, what? Even if you are a secret agent, like you literally just had a death-defying moment happen, and you survived. Yeah, you're gonna have a moment where you're like, "Oh, thank God, I, oh, I made it," and you're like, "Oh, God damn it, that's why I came back here for a bomb." <laughs> uh, the plane's out of fuel, and they drive a jeep out of it, and they're like, "And Bond's like, I know a great restaurant in this area we just randomly landed in. <laughs> Let's go have dinner." World traveler. I'm surprised yeah. he doesn't run into more girls. He's he's boned. Like when he goes to places and they're like, "You never called me." Yeah, especially as this franchise kept going, like eventually there's going to be a lot of ladies being like, "You never called." That would be a great movie where like all the girls who have been spurned by Bond like encounter each other and decide to just fuck him up. That hurt. I was seeing like he gets a new girl and he's trying to take her somewhere, but an old girl pops up and he has to go try somewhere else. <laughs> Well, Bond ends up re-seducing all of them. <laughs> um, BDE, Big Dick Energy. You yep. Bond. And um, so now Bond has to go after Whitaker. And this is an interesting fight. It's kind of like, why don't you just get this guy when you had the chance? And yeah. he's busting out high-tech weaponry, including like a body armor rifle thing. Yeah. That was kind of cool. Yeah, again, 80s being 80s right here. Um, and as he's doing it, he's just like the, the dude's not shutting the fuck up. He's just like spouting off like what he's gonna do, battle facts, as he was doing playing a fake battle on his thing. It's like 
Boy, this guy's over the top. Yeah. And Bond takes him down with a column of Wellington, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's he's had his Waterloo. Oh. Yeah. Then Kara gets to go to the concert. Or no, well, first Pushkin grabs Georgi and puts him in the diplomatic bag. I always love that line. Yeah, I, you know what? It's funny. I remember when I first watched I forgot about the line, and when I watched it this time, I was like, oh, shit, they're going to kill him. Yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. I was like, that's really dark. Holy. But Koskoff and Whitaker never really amount to any th- real threat. I'm never intimidated by them or, like, afraid of what they're capable of. And that's what a Bond villain should be. You should be like, what the hell are, are they going to do next? And these guys are just, they're drug dealers. Like, that's the whole, that's it. They're, yeah, when, and and doing wrong, like, you make drug dealers terrifying. Like obviously, they again they made it work in License to Kill. Where you were like, oh shit, these drug dealers are terrifying. Yes, but you have to do it right. I guess is the best way to put it. Well, also, I think you need to cast somebody who has like a natural intimidating charisma, and Jerome Crab and Joe Don Baker just don't have that. No, especially when Joe Don Baker is just absolutely over the top in this final fight. God, if I ever run into him, I'm going to scream, Mitchell! And then he's going to kick my ass. With his high-tech body armor. <laughs> yeah. So, everybody wins. Kara gets to go do her Stradivarius at the concert. The Mujahideen shows up. And it's like, hi! And everyone's like, why are there Afghan rebels in this building? Um, and then Bond shows up to fuck her in the bathroom. So, that's... That's the end. Yep. She gets Bond makes sure to get his. He's ready the whole movie for this woman. You ever watch epic rap battles of history? Yes. You remember the James Bond versus Austin Powers one? Oh yeah, yeah. There was a line in there that I always love. It was uh check the name, the ladies wanna be on D. Like, yeah, that's pretty accurate. That's good. <laughs> He just want to be on D. <laughs> I love those guys. I watch all their like whenever they do. I think they only do it like every like once a month or something like that. But oh wait, yeah, they they're like they do all the production, they do all the lyrics, like it's all them. So it takes a while. They just launched another one recently that was really good. Yeah, yeah, I watched it. It was fucking good. I forget what it was, but I remember being like, "Oh, this is a good one." Indiana Jones like- versus Lara Croft. Oh, that was that was a really good one. Um, I think my favorite is the one when there was like Alfred Hitchcock, Steven Spielberg, like Kubrick gets involved, Mike Michael Bay when he's like money motherfuckers. That was fantastic. That one's my favorite too. <laughs> I gave it to Michael Bay when they were like he went. I was like I can't believe I'm saying this, but it's Michael Bay. <laughs> the line like I take my checks to the bank and I sign them with my nuts. Like come on, <laughs> how do you not? Love that. My film teacher in uh, when I took, my, I think it was the Kubrick class I took in high in college, played that on the first day to show show us what we were getting into. <laughs> Loved that. It's awesome. All right, here are some filmgasm facts for the Living Daylights. Now these are all fantastic. <laughs> okay, number one. Timothy Dalton was originally considered for the role of Bond in the late 60s after Sean Connery left the role following You Only Live Twice. Dalton was screen tested by Albert Broccoli for On Her Majesty's Secret Service, but he turned down the part as he thought he was too young. 
He was also considered for Diamonds Are Forever, but turned it down again, still feeling he was too young. He was considered again for the role in For Your Eyes Only, when for a while it was unclear whether Roger Moore would return. However, Dalton declined at that time, as there was no script. He was offered the role again in 1983 for Octopussy, and yet again in 1985 for A View to a Kill, but had to decline the role both times due to previous commitments. They had been after Dalton since the fucking 60s. Jesus. And yet when they finally had an opportunity open, he was their third choice. This guy turned down James Bond one, two, three, four, five, no, six times. Brosnan must have been fucking fuming when he heard about this. It's like they've been after him forever. Brosnan got one opportunity, he thought, and then it was over. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, the Brosnan being mad about this makes him more and more sense every day. And then, like, what's insane to me is that not only did they go off him that much, and he said no, which is insane since like the late 60s. But then the opportunity arises with the living daylights, like, okay, well, yeah, I get a new Bond actor, more's done. And he wasn't even their first choice. He was their third. So I'm like, what the fuck? Like, the moment came. Well, to be fair, they probably thought he's going to say no. (laughs) He'd been saying no since the 60s. Why would he suddenly say yes? This is true. And technically, he did tell them no at first. And then then they had no other options. So they were like, fuck, we got to wait and finally just get this guy (laughs) that we've been bugging for over a decade. That is beautiful. I wonder if he was annoyed. He's like, oh my God, leave me alone. I don't want to play James Bond. (laughs) Oh, all right. Number two, I couldn't believe this. Just a few days before Timothy Dalton was about to shoot his first scenes as James Bond, Roger Moore reportedly tried to get back for one more movie. (laughs) Presumably due to his well-known dislike of his final movie, A View to a Kill, he felt it should have ended on a better note. He called Albert Broccoli about this. He was like, I got to do one more. I got to do it right. The last one sucked. Let me do this. Let me end this right. And so regardless of Roger's past remarks about feeling too old and wanting to retire from the role, Roger was like, please. But his request came in too late. Broccoli kindly declined saying, quote, Timmy is my new boy. Which is a weird way to say it. But I mean, if that phone call had happened like the day before, Dalton probably wouldn't have kicked the curb and this would have been Roger Moore's final movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> he just kept wanting to come back. He kept being like, nah, one more. <laughs> oh, he's just, oh, my God. I do not see him in this, ver- especially because they would not have had time to change the script or anything. So they would have had to commit to what they wanted to do with his take of the character, and that would not fit here at all. Oh, and then if they kicked Dalton to the curb, that's it. He's not coming back. Yeah, you probably been like, I'm done trying now. <laughs> uh, number three, I thought you'd appreciate this. Brad Whitaker's uniform has a wide array of awards and decorations of the United States Armed Forces that change from one scene to the next. And, he, and he's not a soldier. He was never a soldier. He just likes the uniform. So it's a lot of stolen valor going on here. A whole lot. In the final fight scene, if they had actually been awarded to him, they would mean he had been a rifle expert in the Marine Corps, a paratrooper in the Airborne, and an officer of the submarine force of the U.S. Navy over the course of his career. <laughs> he he was such a piece of shit. He just kept grabbing awards and like medals because they looked cool. 
God damn it. I like how just because I'm in the military, you are like, oh, you'll appreciate this. And it just infuriates me to no end. <laughs> I, I, am I wrong, though? You did, you did appreciate it. Fuck yourself. I can tell. <laughs> God, yeah. Now, look, I'm. that's 100% stolen valor right there. That is, wow. Yep. Brad Whitaker's a piece of shit. For some reason, the line where he goes, you blew up half a billion bucks always irritates me. It's delivery or the way he's like, I don't, I don't know. I just, that line always makes me want to punch him. Okay. Number four, director Chris Columbus is a big James Bond fan. And he was crushed when Pierce Brosnan didn't get cast when he was offered the part during the making of Remington Steel. They wouldn't release him from his contract. We talked about this. Mm. Columbus thought Brosnan was a phenomenal actor. When the two worked together on Mrs. Doubtfire, Columbus told Brosnan he'd make a great James Bond. But Brosnan thought that ship had sailed. He's like, yeah, I thought so too, Chris. Thanks, Chris. I tried. Thanks for bringing it up. I was having such a great day. I thought I was so good. I, I, I funny enough, auditioned. In, in 1995, MGM called Columbus, telling him they're looking for the next James Bond rather than cast Timothy Dalton again. And Brosnan was one of the choices. And they were wondering, like, is he decent to work with? Like, would we be taking a risk here? Columbus recommended him with flying colors. And wouldn't you know it, Brosnan was cast for real this time as James Bond. So I don't know how much influence Chris Columbus had on that, but I like to think that he was the final push to Brosnan getting it. I would like to think that. I will say, like, I know we kind of have been kind of messing around, obviously, with his time and how it went down. I have heard by our accounts from a lot of people who have worked with, uh, at least on the web, who have worked with Pierce Brosnan, that apparently he is actually incredibly easy uh, to work with. I haven't heard any bad things about him on set. No, me neither. I'm glad he was finally able to do it. Yeah. I'm starting to see like more and more as we dig into like the history of these films more, like why getting a reunion is so difficult. What was so difficult for, you know, obviously two of the actors had passed away. Um, but was so difficult for so long because it sounds like there's just like bad blood all around with how they handled the changing of bonds. Well, nobody bows out gracefully. They either are like they do it till they're fucking half dead or they get ripped out of the role unceremoniously. Like there's no there's no one's like, thanks. I had a great time. Yeah. Even Craig, who technically got like a full complete arc. Was. We've seen his interviews. He wasn't a happy man. No, he wished he'd never fucking done it. He wants to be on a ranch somewhere speaking like he's from fucking West Virginia. That's all he wants. Just wants to be Benoit Blanc. Hey, <laughs> he dies. What did you hear Dave Batista talking about? Like Craig's demeanor on set, like on the set of Spectre, he was aloof, didn't talk to anybody, was just kind of somber on Glass Onion. He was happy and smiling and talking to everybody and having a great time. He is so happy to not be James Bond. It's amazing. <laughs> oh, man. If you told a British actor, you can either play James Bond or a detective from Kentucky. I mean, I, I doubt... I'm sure he somebody would think about it, but you'd think that'd be a pretty easy decision. But... Apparently not. <laughs> Apparently, man, 
the U UK, like this is such a UK property, but boy, do these actors like not want to do it. I can't wait to see the next actor who gets disillusioned by this franchise. <laughs> like, I know, like, <laughs> like, can we just get one that's like Brosnan again, but this time like the studio treats him like Craig's era? <laughs> Oh, this is great. Um, so I give The Living Daylights a seven. It's got its moments of drag, but you know, so does every other Bond film. I think the plot is unnecessarily complex and the villains are fairly bland. But for Dalton's debut, it's a solid one. I think his follow-up was way better. Yeah, I pretty much agree. I I'll give it a seven also. I think it's a for the most part a pretty decent debut of all the one-two punch, really. That ended up being of Timothy Dalton's taking the character i i see a lot of the stuff that craig would run with with his take on the character here with dalton and like i said just ahead of his time with it and um you know it does have its moments it can be fun it's just i like a lot of bond films if i'm just being honest with me way too long stop making stop feeling need to make every single one on two well jesus christ with these fucking craig ones two and a half hours like stop it um stop it Stop it. Uh, with that, still an overall good one. I do think, yeah, I'm with you. It, you know, he only got better, and the film got better with License to Kill, and it's a shame that that was the last we got of Dalton. So I'm wondering if, had they continued that upward trajectory, how better, even better it could have gone with him in the role. You imagine a slightly older Dalton taking on Sean Bean and Goldeneye? Oh, my God. That'd be pretty sweet. It would be. Uh, this was fun. I had a lot of fun with this episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you like the show, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Filmgasm Productions. If you want to suggest film source to check out, you can send us a message on the socials or email us at filmgasm at gmail.com. Check out the website, filmgasm.com, where we have reviews, articles, trailers of upcoming films, and all of our shows. If you want to support the show through Anchor, you can click on support this podcast on your preferred provider. We appreciate it. So shifting to a bit of a somber note. You may have heard the voice acting community suffered a heavy loss recently with the passing of Kevin Conroy, who tragically lost his battle with cancer at just 66 years old. Conroy was the iconic voice of Batman in the 1990s animated series, as well as several animated films and the Arkham game series. To many, myself included, he was the definitive Batman. When I think of Batman, it's his voice I think of. So in his honor, on the Filmgasm podcast next week, we're tackling the film that many fans consider to be his finest hour as the Dark Knight, the 1993 animated classic Batman Mask of the Phantasm. Batman must hunt down a murderous vigilante who's going after mob criminals who are all connected through a single crime, while at the same time reconnecting with an old flame and contemplating hanging up the cape and cowl for good. It's one of the best Batman movies of all time, and I can think of no better way for us to honor the late, great Kevin Conroy than by celebrating his best work. So... I'm yeah, I was devastated when I heard that news. I want to honor him properly. This is this seemed like the right film for that. No, I'm I'm with you. Um I, I'm with I mean the dude like to me with just a voice, and we were more sorry I was gonna do that episode, but with just a voice, seeming himself as everyone's Batman is he didn't need to have his physical presence there. All he needed was that voice, and we think Batman. That is who Batman is. And that says so much. Yeah. Right there alone about him, about his performance, the the legacy he left. It says it says it all right there alone. Um and yeah, I remember when I when I saw it, you know, I showed Josh and Josh was like, holy shit, like and then I texted you because I was like, I know how much 
I know how much this means, but you know, Connor, it's weird. It's kind of like the moment when you texted me about Russ Craven. I was like, I got to break this down. Like he's not going to be happy. And, you know, I told you, and I, I tried to be, I tried to make it sound as good as I could. I just I knew there was no way to do that. And I remember you, you took about to respond. I'm like, shit, he's looking it up. And yeah, your text after that, I was like, yep, I knew. And I, I figured that was going to be your response. Um, It's hard. I mean, like I said, you, you voiced them in cartoons. You voiced them in the video games for the Arkham series. He did do a physical appearance for the Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, for the when the CW was doing all their shows, I know they're kind of facing some some issues right now, so a lot of that shit got canceled. But you know, he was on there as Batman, you know, and it was a pretty early announcement. Like no other one was thought of but him, and that that again that speaks to how much he 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 had he he was tied to that role for people. Um, so yeah, no better way than to do an animated film. You know, unfortunately, I haven't actually seen this one myself, so I'm looking forward to watching it. Um, you're in for a treat. It is a phenomenal movie and a, one of the best Batman stories ever really humanizes the character in a way that like no one else really has. I mean, we never see like a movie where Batman's like thinking about, you know, how, like, am I making a difference? How long is this going to go on? Like, don't I deserve to have a life? Mm. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Like, I, I've heard a lot of good things about this one. It's been on my watch. been meaning to watch. And it, it makes sense. That if we're going to honor him, we're going to do it with the, what many people consider to be the definitive Batman film. So yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to this. It'll be great to honor him. And um, our last little hurrah for Kevin Conroy. Damn right. Gone, but never forgotten. Rest in peace. Don't miss the 2002 live action Scooby-Doo on Friday's Beyond the Bad. The 1995 horror thriller Seven on Oscar Sunday. And a brand new podcast called Fake True Stories with our debut episode 300 launching on Monday. Very excited uh, to show you guys this. Until then, don't betray the Russian government and partner up with an arms dealer to sell opium on the black market. Otherwise, James Bond will stop you. See you next Wednesday. Keep watching movies. (laughs) 